You know, I, I had a meeting that I was really boring, so I took up myself for like 10 minutes and then I ran it in loop and I went, I switched off the camera and it was just running. Not Nobody bad. noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shoke Zoll. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And we're back with the second part of the Technovision 2024 launch specials. In part one, we talked to Ron Toledo about the overall themes of Technovision 2024 as well as the underlying trends. And in this part, part two, we are going to talk to Robert Engels, who runs the Group Gen AI Lab here at Capgemini. Uh, and we're going to delve deeper into one of the main trend areas, which of course is around data and generative AI. But before we get to that, when Marcel and Schalke and I were on the platform that we record the podcast on regularly, we were wondering why Rob was late one day and we were sitting there having a chat and all of a sudden Rob popped up and you can we can see each other on video and behind Rob we can see his room, it's a very lovely room, and spread out on the floor was, I don't know, I think he said it was something like 7,000 bits of Lego, like all, all immaculately set out, <laughs> colour-coded and, and by size, and we were like, Rob, what are you working on? And he was like, I'm, I'm trying to work out a physical data model, uh, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I'm not sure how, you, how well you got on with that, Rob. It probably pertains to some of the things we're about to talk about. I'm, I'm not really sure. But what are you confused about this week? I was very creative, Dave. I, I like that. I love the idea of actually building a physical data model. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I create it with Lego. I, I, like, I like the it's idea of, of like... Of, of, if you're spending ages spreading out all the pieces, <laughs> color-coding them. It, it, I thought it was much like most large organizations when they're trying to get to grips with their data, you see. Uh, I was having to sort out the taxonomy issue right at the beginning because exactly. that is the crux of many bad <laughs> <laughs> failures. In data. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, David. Now, this week, uh, I, you always think, think about this the other week, and um, if you get technology right, there's some technology that's well-aged but very successful. And may fall out of vogue a bit, but comes back in, but deserves to survive. So technology that can survive. So a good example is the record player. Yes, I was going to say vinyl. Love it. Yeah. Still represents a great value prop. And there is other technology that is still long in the tooth of legacy that should have been deleted a long time ago, but for some bizarre reason still exists. And I'm going to use the floppy disk, okay. right? Three and a half inch quarter floppy disk. 1.44, can't store a lot of media, terribly unreliable, hugely clunky, has been surpassed so much. You know, you can buy this little SD card, two terabytes of storage, much more reliable, much faster yeah. than. However, a lot of technology apparently still uses the floppy disk. And I will use 747400 series as an example. I checked this right? out. There are still 49 flying around the world. Some or half of them are owned by one very reputable airline that I won't mention. And apparently, for the flight control software, you still need to service it with a floppy disk. And I'm wow. thinking, how has that technology that has no redeeming quality feature, is inherently unreliable, doesn't store a lot of information, still embedded in critical infrastructure like airliners? And I was just, I'm just generally confused by how it survived. I, I, I think that's more like frightened than, yeah, than confused. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, knew that, and... 
I'm a bit scared now. <laughs> so my take on it is the something like vinyl, right? Which is you would think it got superseded by CDs, and and to a certain extent during the '90s in particular, it actually succeeded. Like vinyl production stopped pretty much, and CDs were like just absolutely the way everybody consumed their music. And then there was a few little goes at things like mini discs and all of those sorts of things, wasn't there? And then streaming, of course, came out and like lots of physical media stores closed down. But then the the interesting thing about the vinyl resurgence to me is a return to consuming art in a way that's sort of yeah. physical. It comes with a it's an experience. It with a, yeah, exactly. Experience with the technology that we the experience of playing it. The the actually the the physicality of putting a needle on a record and it being an analog sound. Richer, warmer, yeah. Yeah, richer, warmer. Not necessarily better. I think that's a, a debate. We, it's a whole other podcast series in its own right, probably. Now, I would differentiate that, like the return to something because it has intrinsic value is a different thing to maybe they just haven't updated fast enough. Well, so it's this thing about, there's, it's so easy to replace with something fatter, uh, you know, faster, better quality. But yet the floppy disk has survived. And, and it, is it an engineering trait that it's not broken, so don't fix it, we don't have to change it. But there is this, why are you still using something as crap as a floppy disk? Well, I think we'll leave that there. And you're right, that is concerning. And I actually love the 747, just on the record. It was, one it was a very good plane. Yeah. Still, still a fair few flying, but yeah, so, some of them are still using floppy disks. It's the height of flying sophistication to be in the bubble at the top. Oh, I, 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 honestly, I honestly don't think it's going to get any better. Unless you're on a private jet, I don't think it gets any better than the <laughs> bubble at the top of a 747. Absolutely spectacular. Anyway, on that note, welcome to part two of Technovision 2024. Robert, good to see you. Thanks for making the time to come and chat with us about this. Do you want to just say a couple of words of introduction? Tell everybody about yourself for a minute. Yeah, thank you for having me here. My name is Robert Engels, and uh, I lead the, the Global Gen AI Laboratories for Capgemini. So we are diving into depth in different aspects of AI. Makes a lot of fun. And I've done that for like nearly three decades now, which makes me sound like a mastodon, I think. But on the other hand, there might be some experiences that we see that are still needed. In part one of the two-part episode on Technovision 2024, we talked to Ron Toledo about the overall themes of this year's report, as well as the 37 trends. So the main theme is around Augment Me, where it specifically talks about augmentation of our environment, our digital environment, and the things like AI can provide to support humans being more effective. But it was a, a salient reminder of the human that's in the loop, the human that sits at the center of all of this and how to make that human more effective. And then Ron also made numerous points about how that level of augmentation can also bring about a new view of what the human is capable of. And then we talked about the main trends, which were summarized into six different containers, which were around the infrastructure, the application, data, process on the fly, user experience and collaboration, and then finally, how it all comes together into some design principles. Now, data and AI, it won't surprise anybody to hear, was a very thick thread through all of the trends and is, is central also to the Augment Me theme. So what we thought we'd do in the second part is actually dive deeper into the data and AI trend itself. So, Robert, give us your view to start with on that thread 
So data and AI is probably always a core thread in something like uh, Technovision. And thankfully, and you'll be, you'll be relieved to hear this, Robert, because the other Robert on the call, Robert Kernahan, has been around long enough to be there at the inception of Technovision 2023, Boom. right? Yeah. I so remember like, the heady days when it appeared for the first time. Was that Technovision 1971, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it feels like it, Dave. It's been a long old road. <laughs> so, so my thesis then here is that data, if it wasn't in the first couple, has probably been a very long-running thread throughout Technovision history. Is that Would that be fair? Yeah, so lots of the themes have sustained in Technovision. In the, uh, in the early days, it was called Thriving on Data, where we were talking about bringing your silos of data together, getting better understanding of what was going on, operational excellence, which, which maintains a core theme for you know, all organizations. And you know, like the compute used to be called invisible infrastructure, which was about this, the cloud abstraction and everything as code and sort of like coming in. And we had the U experience, which is all about the personalization of tech. And I think over the 17 years that we've been releasing uh, the publication, that it's evolved into what we know today. And it's kept, it's kept, um, it's kept track with what interests you. Of course, that's the idea. It is thought leadership. What I like about it is it, it just gives you that forward view and the things you need to think about. So it's a great prompt uh, when you think about what's happening in data, what's happening in compute, what's happening in customization and experience, et cetera. But yeah, many years ago, I remember it very well. I used to, uh, I used to talk a lot about the U experience back in the day when uh, yeah, dinosaurs roamed the earth. Yeah, apparently back in the late 60s when Rob started to started first working on Technovision, um, they, they were just basically understanding the first concepts of data and, and mainframe technology. Um, but Robert, let, bring us right up to date. Well, the, the, the fun part is uh, thriving on data is still called thriving on data. Hmm. So the, the topic of data has not really changed, huh? It's no, still data it points that you collect. It's just the volume that changed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the uh, some of the underpinning subtlety and concepts have changed. But that's what exactly. I love about yeah. tech technovision. The ethos yeah. of it and the core remains very stable and consistent, which shows you that all those years. I think it was seventeen years ago, was it something like that that we started? That the things we were talking about there have become the things that we are actually implementing and doing now. So testament to the 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 early iterations of the uh the theory so robert why don't you bring us right up to date technovision 2024 where is data sitting in the work this time and how does it inform all of the other ones given you know the the, the rapid increase of things like jni adoption over the cost last 18 months yeah, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, like I said, the, the container is still there. It's been there all the time. So thriving on data is there. Uh, you see that many of the topics that play a, an important role in thriving on data, uh, so the data sharing is caring trend, power to the people trends, and they're, they're still there. We got some new things coming up because we're scaling up our thriving on data. Uh, oh, sorry, not the, we are not scaling up the container. We're scaling up our data landscapes and ecosystems. And, and new issues that pop up are, for example, about the net zero data. So can you actually uh, work on sustainability? Because we are really creating a lot of data graveyards that are on spinning disks and, and use electricity. The other way around, if you have an enormous amount of data about your context of your organization, can you use that data to become more sustainable? So th these kind of issues can now play a role. So that, that's part of the container as well. Uh, so uh, another trend was the, the thing with data. So really data at the edge. Uh, we have an abundant amount of data that is created at the edge now and, and more will come. 
And uh, that data can actually also allow us to get better insight in the context that automation is working in. So, uh, and automation can be different things. AI is definitely part of that. But we look now into that topic as well. So how can we actually already at the edge work with and on data? And what can it mean for the rest of the, uh, the tires around it? And then we have a new trend that we introduced now with uh, the whole uh, generative AI um, yeah, hype that is coming uh, that came up last year. That it is a different type of AI that is uh, more and more fussy, more probabilistic than what we have done before in many cases, uh, with some uh, great unknowns that we will discuss. But we have a, a part of the trend is my AI generation. So what what can this uh, data do in combination? with this creativity that comes into the point. Right. And, and do you see a, a, a path forward at the moment? Because one of the things we've talked about a lot when it comes to the use of data with AI is that a lot of organizations have struggled for you know, 20, 30 years in terms of things like master data management, data organization, data structures. Then big data comes along and it was unstructured. You could have masses of it. And that gave a little bit of a breakthrough, but there was still a need to actually mm. fundamentally understand your data and harvest and orchestrate your data. Are we finally mm. getting to a point where something like a data fabric can be put in place that just allows us to leverage our data as it is today? Yeah, I think what, we, what we've seen uh, throughout history is that you, you get to the next level. And I think this is one of these moments that we get to the next level, but it will not solve all problems. So there will be yeah. a level yeah. after that as well. An organization today then, so they can they can go straight into leveraging their data sets, even if it's quite unknown to them at the moment. They don't have to go through like an 18-month period of like data cleansing, master data management structures, data hierarchies, all of those sorts of things to yeah, be that, able to leverage that. that. That's what we're trying to find out at the moment. Eh? The, uh, there's different issues, to, uh, topics to that. One is that if you look at the really large language models that are the, the first real generative AI models that are trained on, on, on huge data sets, they have their issues. They hallucinate, they make errors, they have issues. And, mm -hmm. and part of that can be because uh, of the, the prompting. If you prompt, you, you set the context on your, uh, on your task. If you do that wrongly, you will get hallucinations. Others are simply because these models have problems and issues with the data. And uh, we, we are just about to find out what that actually implies in this kind of models and and how you can work with, with that and around that and fix these kind of things. And we have found some some solutions, I, I would say, uh, mm -hmm. that we have seen starting to get commodity. But there, many of those are actually based on, on good old strategies from before with, with other AI technology, the more traditional AI. So it is, um, and, and maybe also even other things. So you, you can imagine ChatGPT only works because it uses reinforcement learning from the 90s and even good old knowledge management from the 80s. So the strategies around these have been known, the technologies have been known, but putting them together helps. That is one thing. On the other hand, we have the whole uh, data engineering uh, that is still an art that you will need because one of the solutions to make Generative AI stop hallucinating is, is really using, for example, a rack approach or a vector database approach where you put in your own data. You give these things your own data. You give them crisp knowledge so that they can create some kind of rhetorics around that, a query answering system or, or whatever you need. And 
that is basically the same pipeline if we, as we have had uh, the last years. So right, I think right. on the data engineering part and this data pipeline part, much will stay the same this year as well. You will I still see, need right. to do a good job on that. Because if you can't trust that pipeline, you can't trust the answers, can you? Exactly right, yeah. So so actually maybe just as an extension of that, when, what does a good data ecosystem look like? What are the major components of it for you? Well, what we have seen just before the Gen AI hype was this whole data mesh uh, yeah. uh, topic. And data mesh and data fabrics and all that kind of things were actually approaches or our approaches because they're still just as actual they're just like undersnowed by a new hype but they're, they're very important uh, elements of this so i think if you have a good data fabric or data mesh uh, based ecosystem you you will be able to tackle a lot of the scenarios that you will have to tackle if you want to apply generative ai at scale in your organization so let's use that as a bridge then into generative ai itself so gartner recently have published a report that basically has is looking at investment trends across IT departments and tech departments in all kinds of organizations. And one of the interesting things they pluck out is that for all of the noise and hype curve stuff that's going on around Gen AI at the moment, actually the investment in it was still looking much more like proof of concept, but maybe a step on from Skunkworks, maybe into MVP, but it isn't looking like mainstream investment yet. So when when you guys were looking at 2024 from a from a Gen AI perspective, how were you conceptualizing where it's going to go between now and the end in terms of the technovision trends? Yeah, what what we we have a few observations that we have made around this, and and of course there is an uh, an increasing interest in building smaller models. And it's that you can really use for specialized tasks uh, built on your own data and your own knowledge and information of your organization, uh, which you can then train much cheaper than using the real large ones because they're very expensive to train. Uh, but but uh, that goes on the drawback that you have to specialize the task. But if you have specialized agents that perform specific tasks very well, uh, you can have several agents that do several tasks and together can... Uh, solve complex tasks. So that, that's one of the trends we see now, I, th- I would say. If you come back to the investment part and the POC discussion, I mean, AI, like like you said in, uh, in the introduction, it is like I've been fighting windmills for many years. And, and the windmills were actually this, this value of that of AI. Eh? You have this nice picture that after the POC comes the data landscape and the data ecosystem, and then you will not be uh, getting out there uh, for the next two years. Yeah, you just get bogged down, bogged down exactly. in the challenge of and that. Yeah. That is obviously a thing here as well. Although I must say, we also had the cloud revolution in between. And the cloud revolution really centralized a lot of data mm. and, and had actually the effect that many larger organizations have a much better control over their data. So for reg-like approaches in Gen AI, and so I think that the gap between a POC and having something in your organization at scale is much smaller. Uh, at the same time, there is uh, an uncertainty. I, I notice an uncertainty in the market. If I talk to the management of these large organizations, they hear very positive uh, rhetorics from the makers of mm-hmm. this technology. At the same time, they also hear a lot about what can go wrong and that the effects and the risks are severe. In many cases, the costs are high. So that makes them very unsure where to use this and what what to actually mitigate. 
And on the investment cycle as well, is there a view, there was some conversation about this, but a view about the risk associating with putting your money in the wrong place, considering legislation that might come down the road with AI and ethics that says, actually, you aren't allowed to do that, or you need a special Mm -hmm. license to be able to Mm -hmm. use data in a particular way. Do you think that's holding back some people putting investment, the fear of what regulation do, or do you think we've got over that and, you know, it's more about we have a good idea of what should be happening? I think that is a bit, there's two answers to that. One, on the, on the side of using the, the large language models provided by the by the main suppliers, the four or five large language models, I think this might be a blocker for a moment. And the reason is simple. They don't, they're not transparent on what they actually model. So you have no clue whether there is some risk to mitigate or not. Okay. So I think on that hand, it is uh, really a stopper for the smaller models that you can do yourself. I think this this question is much more answerable because that scenario is pretty similar to the traditional AI scenarios where you have your own data, your own stack, you train your own model, and you roll it out. So you get much more control. Yeah. So I think that that's a two-sided question, really. The other thing that occurs to me when organizations are starting to think about AI and use use cases is this notion that I think you cover in Techno 2024, which is the use cases are really quite similar use cases to ones we've cracked in the past. And people are pulling forward use cases that they're quite familiar with and then applying Gen AI to them, you know, to create some perhaps marginal or incremental improvement on what was gone before, rather than using AI to push into things that haven't been done before or we or we struggle to imagine right now. I wonder in, in Technovision, have you pushed into that space at all? Uh, no, we didn't uh, we didn't really uh, touched into the space of that because it was not relevant for what's coming up. I mean we have the observation that use cases in general that are now proposed for generative AI are not very different from what we've seen before with more right, traditional yeah. AI, uh, for a few, without a, with a few exceptions, of course, because what we got now is a much better interface between human beings and, uh, and machines. Right. And so you have multilingual capabilities that are beyond what we have seen before. It's impressive also with non-native speakers, which was my challenge with many NLP systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these, these new, yeah, this, this new type of technology is really good at that. But it's still the, the, the use cases that you see that we tackle at the moment with a lot of success are use cases that we have been tackling before, like chatbots, like uh, co-pilots right. for programming. They've been there all the time. Rational Rose 15 years ago. Yeah, in the late sixties, yeah. Robert. <laughs> oh my word! You're bringing back the past now with phrases like that. Whew. Yeah, no, but this is the thing, you know. Like, if you use rational roles, you also had this this co-piloting there. Good point, actually. Yeah, it has been the theory of the idea has been there. It's just the quality of the outcome that is given. Exactly. You, so it's a new tool, and this tool is very powerful. So it's a stepwise change, I think, in in capability. Really, it, it combines a lot of things that we were looking for. So that's good. But it's not solving any, uh, everything. So there are still a lot of topics that you would do with more traditional methods. No, right. And, and that will be the, the thing that we will find out in 2024, how to hook up this, this new, more probabilistic, more fuzzy technology that can interpret our fuzzy thoughts into stable compute and stable outcomes. I think that's what we will see. And do you think that we might push past the use case as early as 2024? And by that, I mean, 
clearly it makes a lot of sense to be use case driven in the implementation rather than starting with horizontal platform implementations. But there has to come a point where organizations could get very, very, very complex very, very quickly if it's just tens, hundreds, or thousands of use case implementations of these things. And there are two things that interest me about what that tipping point looks like. The first is, what does platform AI ultimately end up looking like? And then the second thing is, when you start to aggregate use cases across an organization, what do you think the organizational impacts are going to be? Yeah, I think, like I say, if if we actually tackle the problem of getting a more robust output, of these processes that are driven with all these different types of AI, then uh, I think you will see a real new development in the direction of AI-driven operating systems, AI driving whole systems uh, at kernel networks, uh, self-healing ecosystems. I I think that will be on the other side, but we, we need to work towards that goal to get that to make that happen mm-hmm. but you already see some some early signs of that eh? there is already some implementations and some showcases that that show this kind of behavior and uh, scaling them up and putting them out in the real world in the real context is still problematic i think we will have to tackle that one first and that will really require a better understanding of of how to put ai at scale in production with a real-world context. Well, this is... I mean, Dave, you brought this up the other day with a conversation we are having about efficacy versus efficiency. Mm. What does a platform give you? It naturally gives you efficiency and ability to execute at scale. But first off, you need the efficacy of the use case to prove it, understand it, get something that you know... Mm is achievable and then there's this process of translation and there's this we had that debate about whether the two are incompatible and you have to focus on one or the other but if you try and do both at the same time you're going to end up in a whole heap of mess and you think about how startups operate it's efficacy first to get a business model out and then they they often consolidate and it feels to me like AI is going that way where we're, we're, you know, we're going to show we can do it and then we'll work out how to industrialize it later. However, Mm. the pain of industrialization on the type of scale we're talking about is going to be considerable. Yeah, we've seen a lot of advocacy. (laughs) This is my shock yourself moment. Advocacy. (laughs) 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 I'm sound like you're swearing slightly there. (laughs) We might have to beep a bit of that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Beep it. (laughs) Advocacy. So uh, we we have seen this uh, advocacy at the beginning of uh, last year where there was a lot of advocacy on that this is going to solve all our problems and then reality hits, of course. And then... uh, what we are experiencing now is that there is a lot of tryout and a lot of testing uh, without really taking into consideration the real risks. And, and they are getting visible now. And only after we saw that the first invoices came in, eh? because until summer last year, the first six months, everything was for free. And then after summer, you had to pay. And now, now people, managers, get bills on their tables. And they ask themselves, do I really get something back for that money. What are my people doing with it? Are they playing around? Are they, what are they doing? Making funny pictures of unicorns. You know, like, do I want to pay that bill? And that, that also is then related to this risk issue because they know there are risks and they can't identify them uh, up front. And that, that is a real issue. So we, we do have, yeah, work to do on the trust and the confidence part. 
and there's always that you must be safe, you must be legal. Yeah, at the at, you know at the core of it, whatever you undertake must be a moral action and done with the right justification and check that you know. Mm. But as you say perfectly, what are the unintended consequences of the path you're walking down? And a lot of people in an organisation that might be fearful of maybe falling foul of that. But there's also this bit about if you don't, where does that leave you as others outpace you by using the technology? And there's that, it's like a tightrope walk, isn't it? About you've got to mm. embrace the new, but ensure you still sort of stay on the right side of the good. Yeah, that's why we why we really say, uh, so you, everyone should experiment with it and get experience and, and actually start to understand what it can do and cannot do. So that is for sure on an individual level, but also on an organizational level. I mean, the technology will is, is, is there to stay. I mean, it will not disappear. Yeah, it's, it's not going to wait out of the box. Yeah. No. It's fair to say, though, that at the moment, AI, for all of its heralding, still struggles with certain issues and certain problems. E.g., it's, it's, it's by no means a, a perfect multimodal, multi-contextual, technology yet so robert first of all unpack that a little bit what are, what are the issues of the ai that we we can see at the moment and the constraints and therefore how should it be well used yeah uh, so yeah that's a good question uh, where to start i would say so large language models are are as we know uh, trained on, on huge amounts of communication between people in in some or the other sense and and this is modeled in a probabilistic way so what, what models do, this, this large language models, is really Markov chaining on character sequences. And if you appreciate that fact, you, you would probably not use it in any case where you want to be correct, because they cannot uh, guarantee that they can be correct. Now, people, because it uses a language that is very, very authoritative, and this is the first time really in human history that we have something else than humans talking to us, in a way that makes sense. So we we are a bit like overwhelmed, I think, and we we actually give it much more credit than it should have the answers. I mean, and and then we use it for things it shouldn't be used for. So, right. for example, mathematics: uh, two plus two is four, and GPT four costs you six dollar cent or something. Right. We do have a calculator from the seventies that does it in zero zero point yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. microsecond. I think Robert still has one. So. <laughs> <laughs> slide rule, mate. I started on slide rules. <laughs> He's got it in his breast pocket with his pocket protector. Yeah, yeah top pocket, a couple of pens and a slide yeah. rule. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know where the real actions are. Yeah, but these, these things do it for zero, for, for a microcent. So why, why not use that? Huh? So that is, and, and you see that kind of functionality starting to become more uh, yeah, common in these implementations, but then with the D route. Eh? So what they now do is that a language model identifies something as a, a formula or as, as a summation or a product of something, some, some numbers, some mathematics, and it just writes a little Python script and then executes that Python script in a, in a virtual space, gets an answer returned, which obviously is correct for, the, for the, the calculation. You cannot guarantee that the Python script is correct, but the outcome of the Python script will reflect what went in there. And then well, they get the back. But that's what you yeah. do with the calculator. Uh, you know, you receive a maths problem, you go, ah, the, the AI write the Python script, same as me picking up the calculator and punching in the buttons. I might exactly. get the punch of the buttons wrong and then read yeah. the result and might be wrong. But that's a that's a human trait in the sense that humans are not infallible. Yeah. So we, we get actually three different directions then to distinguish between one is the multi-capable 
systems uh, so that have different capabilities so mathematics uh, engineering physics uh, logics reasoning all that kind of abstraction all these different capabilities are lacking in a standard llm because it's just imitating them but we did implement logics we did implement physics in wolfram alpha for example we did implement mathematics so we can use that externally and then if you Combine that with the smaller language models that are trained for very specific tasks and running as a multi-agent system. This multi-agent system can represent that kind of capabilities in agents. So there can be a mathematical agent, a calculator agent. Uh, you can have some reasoning agents, and they, they can together find out things. So that, that is one of the, the ways I think you should look at it, so multi-capability. Then you have the multi-modality. So one model can actually tackle different modalities and that is then images text sound in one and the same model uh, and that that is a very powerful trick because uh, if you look at it uh, for example with procurement and so on invoice and uh, together with uh, or graphics in in text together with the text that if you can combine these things and we have been looking for that holy grail and now we have something that starts to work so that, that is an, the multi-modality is going to be very important, of course. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, the, the third one is the multi-agents. So you have multi-agents, multi-modality, multi-capability. But I'm interested in also the contextual aspect of its use. So I think we were talking earlier about the, the notion that AI as it stands today can be very good within the context within which it's trained but you take yep, it out yep, of that yep. context and you put it yep. in a different context it's yep. you know no use uh, and, and with all ai i would say also the more traditional ai if you put it into real life work in production somewhere in real life in a real world context it will have problems and we have not solved that so it, it will be the same with this large language models because they're, they're trained on a lot of data uh, many, many different contexts, much more than we have seen before with, with more traditional AI, but it's fuzzy and you have to guide it into the right context. That's what you do with prompting. Prompting is nothing more than putting it in a context. Does that bring us almost full circle back to augment me where the human in the loop, which because we are multi-contextual animals, can provide the, the direction to it, basically? Yeah, I like that thought. I like that thought because... I get often the question like, okay, where, what are we human beings going to do in 10 years? Are we going to be on holidays all the time? I think what we are extremely good at and extremely well equipped through the last 10,000 of year of evolution is really we're uh, surviving in a context in the real world. We, we have a multimodality in our perception of the world that these machines cannot capture yet. They don't have multimodal input. I mean, a Tesla only has a camera. It's only recently LiDAR was added to the game. It was only vision. And you should survive traffic with that. It's not good enough. There's many more modalities that you need to be able to tackle. And I think that is, that is the issue where human beings are far superior uh, overall AI at the moment, and that is being in the real world and understanding the context. I do wonder, though, as you talk about the are we all going to be on holiday, is the vision of the Morlocks and the Eloy actually coming to life where half of the population lives the life of Riley above and somebody still has to stick around and fix it when it goes wrong and do the plumbing? And it's that which is the half of society, happy days, the other half, uh-oh. Maybe not. Maybe the vision from the was it when? When was that book? When was the time machine written? It was, it was yeah, like the 
hundred years mm-hmm. ago or something now, is it? Yeah. Must be close to that. Maybe it was the truth sayer of the time. Yeah. No, we, we, I mean, in, in another sense, we already experienced that. If you look at, uh, at Norway, I mean, a Norwegian society, people that are here for several generations, uh, there's a lot of work they don't want to do. So they import people to do that. Hmm. I think it is uh, the same. But, but what I think, uh, the, the real, I think augment me is a good concept because what I really think is that in uh, a few years from now, we will be really in our context in the real world, having a lot of tasks automated, be it transport or whatever, uh, products, uh, organizational processes, whatever. Things will be automated. We will be the context uh, interpreters for many of that, and we will set our own context. And these things will have to react on that. And I think in that sense, there will be an augmentation with the digital world. Shauk, what have you been looking at this week? So each week I do some research on related ideas in transformation and tech. And this week I thought we should take a look at what industry experts think will be the tech trends for 2024. So we covered this in the episode with Ron Toledo as well. But each year Farbs publishes the expected tech trends for the new year. And this year a total of 20 trends are published. So most of them are around AI. And I want to focus on them in this part. Um, There are a couple of them that I find very interesting, and I'm looking forward to your vision on that as well, Robert. So one of them is AI+, which means AI plus cloud, AI plus security, AI plus data science. So technologists in every domain will gain expertise in applying AI tools to their technology problems and their daily work. The other one is dark AI as a service. Global threat actors will call upon a chat GPT-like solution to craft malicious attacks. Oh, God, that's got problems written all over it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Say, so like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah they're just, oh my God, dark AI. Anyway, sorry, Shao, do continue. The last one, my favorite, proprietary AI agents. So we will see the introduction of these types of AI agents to manage all of the AI tools a company has deployed across their organization. And these autonomous agents will interface between humans and tools, equipped it with the ability to speak the language of both. So a question, are these going to be the big trends for this year? My view is if you sell a thing, you know, we we joked about the internet toaster a few episodes ago where somebody marched in and said, internet enable all of my home products, including the toaster. And I think, I think almost all of us on the call welcomed that, Robert. (laughs) You you were skeptical. Yeah, no, no. But now, now I think a lot of people are waiting for vendor organizations to implement that AI plus into their product. And then they want to configure it and use it. I think that's a that's a hope. And I think everybody's suddenly had to redevelop their product roadmaps to work out how they're going to shoehorn it in. And you know yeah. what? Early implementations will be very clunky, but I do think it's a it's now going to become table stakes in things that you use and buy and consume, and it will become expected. 
However, the maturity of that is going to take a few years to kick mm. in. So I think there'll be this rush. And you can see it in marketing. Everybody puts the AI word yeah. into everything just because yeah. they think it's the right thing to do. It's going to follow through into products, yeah? And I think that's the next thing that we'll see. So there'll be a rush and a hope. People hope that the products they get will be AI enabled. And it might become a differentiator for a while and then we might get a bit bored of it. I don't, I don't know. It depends on the success of it. I think the differentiation has got to be whether it's gimmicky or actually adds value to the product, doesn't it? Right, you mean like the internet-connected toaster? <laughs> <It's> a- yeah, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> I recall on that episode that Shauke was actively, I don't think I'd ever seen him more excited <laughs> yeah. than the idea of a, of a toaster that you could set the night before you went to bed oh, so, yeah. so you could wake up to toast. Oh, I, I, I want one. I really yeah, want one. You never watch Wallace and Gromit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, they solved all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they <laughs> So this notion of the dark AI bot, so the idea of that, if I understand it rightly, is you would be able to sort of ask it questions about what a black hat AI would do. Is that, did I get the gist of that right? Yeah, but also uh, write those phishing emails, right? Using ChatGPT. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Okay. So it's the use of AI as a as a yeah. negative yes i get it oh, inevitable right I, I, oh, I mean, yeah absolutely it's happening already i assume it, it already it goes further that one as well i mean last week there was a uh, paper published from some researchers that uh, actually proved that you can crack guardrails of any of these large language models by using the other large language models to yeah track right right i love it ai against AI, who has the better model and who's going to win. It, it does feel like a bit of an arms race with technologies about to occur, about the forces of good and the forces of evil. Mm. I saw a, a little thing on Instagram where somebody had got a mobile phone with one AI on it and another mobile phone with another AI on it, and it had asked both of them to have a conversation about how to remove humans from the planet. <laughs> really? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and it came with a number of pretty useful suggestions. <laughs> Well, so this is the thing, though. You go back to, if you ask a computer how to reduce CO2 and you don't give it any guardrails, its answer will be, get rid of humans, yeah? That's the answer. Right. That's the logical, very cold, logical answer. However, humans might have a different opinion on that one. And so it's this setting it up so it doesn't come up with like answers like that so it understands that that might be a bridge too far. Right. Robert, any final thoughts on AI in 2024 from Schalk's trends there? No, I, I think the, definitely, I mean, this completely AI platform thinking with AI Plus is uh, definitely something that we will see a lot about. I, Together with the dark AI uh, as a service uh, thinking, I think we should have a decent discussion and it will arise on, on single points of failure. Uh, if you actually start to integrate all this in everything, there will be probably a few actors that might be your single point of failure. Mm. And that will definitely be a a topic here, I think. And uh, you had the last one, kind of an AI agents to do your work within an organization, for example, your your personal agents. That is the augment me scenario, I think. I feel that we have in Technovision. So it fits well. I think once we've got an AI that can send five incomprehensible emails a day, our producer can be replaced. Well, I, yeah, but but this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. We we if you send me an email, Robert, that is auto-generated, and my bot is actually answering you, that might be fun. 
Uh, they might find <laughs> out how to remove us from the equation, and they already did then by that sense. So, I mean, but what is the value of this conversation? Just generating loads of data, right? Yeah, and we, and we already, already have a lot that. of it. I'm yeah. not sure that's unique to AI, though, is it? I think humans are very good at I think humans are really good at having (laughs) conversations where you're like, what is the value of this conversation? (laughs) Yeah, but but actually all that conversation has led to large language models because now we have enough data to train large language models. So they're going to be incomprehensible as well. And that's why they are so good in in deceiving us and and actually make us believe that things are true because they're just regurgitating what we are telling each other. Well, I'm looking forward to the uh, Technovision 2026, where the overall theme is going to be Rise of the Robots. What do you reckon? <laughs> oh, welcome our robot overlord. I mean, we've been here before, but I, I do believe it's happening sooner than people think. <laughs> that dystopian future. Yeah, exactly. Look, on that note, Robert, thank you very much for joining us and giving us a deep dive into some of the themes and the provocations of the data and AI section of Technovision 2024. You're welcome. Now, we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guest what they're excited about doing next. And that could be looking out of your window, running out into the snow and building a snowman, or it could be something that you are doing in your professional life. So, Robert, what are you excited about doing next? Oh, there's many things I'm looking forward to. Of course, like you say, building snowmen is nothing bad. Going on ski, it's beautiful weather in Norway with snow and minus five. So that's one thing. Summer coming up. I like that. And I would, I, I cannot wait to see the future actually uh, later this year. So in summer, we should maybe have a recap and see what happens well, after this podcast, because that would really be something that's cool. I think there will be a lot of changes that we even now cannot really uh, foresee. And, uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to some more radical things that happen. So a huge thanks to our guest this week. Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our sleepy producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us. And please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. <laughs>